today we're going to have an in-depth discussion on Woody Allen with myself, Mike Jordan and Marina Gorski. Hello. Um, the topic, the main inspiration for this conversation is that I recently saw Midnight in Paris, which is a film I've wanted to see for a long time. And because I am a big Woody Allen fan, certainly of his films from the 80s, and in particular Purple Rose of Cairo was one of my favourite films ever, and I felt that Midnight in Paris was going to be addressing much the same topic. It's a fantasy where instead of in Purple Rose of Cairo, the film characters come out of the screen into real life. In Midnight in Paris, characters from the present day go back in time to meet celebrated literary figures. Marina, you've seen the film. Yes, I have. And how do you feel about it yourself? I really enjoyed it. Um, I just thought that it, the way that even though Woody Allen has this thing that I don't enjoy, which He's is... still being alive, being one of them. I think you've <laughs> no, complained on that. No, I've changed my mind about that. That's a relief. Yeah, I wouldn't say death, just something less painful. Okay, um, so you still want him to suffer in some way, you just don't want it to be too drastic. No, no, So no. that he can carry on making films that you like. Yes, exactly. Now, I think in um, because Woody Allen has a very obvious way of referencing cinema, I just mm-hmm. wish that was a bit more subtle. And even though Midnight in Paris is not subtle at all, no, that's one of the um, problems I had. With I it. just, I just liked it because it, it had so many um, not only film figures but you know artists and literary mm. figures and all that. I just thought, I don't know, it was just different. It was random. It was very random. Well, that's, a, that's what I felt was a problem with it, because I think, and particularly I think this is very true of later Woody Allen films, they're all underdeveloped. To me, it felt like a great idea, this character from the present who's mad into these, fascinated by these great literary figures, Hemingway and Dali and people like that, gets to go and meet them. And yet there's no plot other than he just suddenly appears in the 1920s, in Paris in the 1920s, meets all these people seems to accept it quite readily as well, I felt. He didn't. He was amazed at first and then just took it for granted he was going to give Gertrude Stein his greatest novel and things like this. But there's no plot along the way. But there is if, at the if, end. If you, think, if you think about it, so is Purple Rose of Cairo. Not that it doesn't have a plot, mm. but as in the way um, the main character, Cecilia, accepts it very well and very quickly. Oh, that, so does everyone that... else, though. But that's because that's what I like about Purple Rose of Cairo is that it's, it's so mad fact that this character comes off screen and everyone's annoyed about it. The producers in the Hollywood series says, this is going to happen to all the other screens, we must stop this. And they're a little surprised, but certainly in a maze. So it creates its own fantasy world in itself. Whereas in Midnight in Paris, it's too realistic when he's in modern day Paris. So this going back in time, he's still a realistic character. The structure is very real. But as I said, my main problem is that there isn't a plot. The plot just comes in at the end, where you suddenly, where Owen Wilson, as effectively the Woody Allen character, suddenly realises that when he, well, he realises that Marion Cotillard, when she wants to go back to La Belle Epoque, that she's only trying to escape her reality, and that maybe that's what he's been doing all along. But that has never been signposted throughout the film. It's just suddenly rushed in at this conversation they have, where he just says this to her. And then, finally, we get the main, supposed point of the film is, he finds real love, with this woman in the modern day. That's the Paris. beauty of it. But it's just forced Mick, on at the no, end. No, 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 Mick, that's the beauty of it. That's what I wanted Woody Allen to do. Oh, I, I quite accept that. I think it's a good plot. It just isn't signposted. It's just suddenly lashed in there at the end. All the way. I feel what he was doing was he just liked the idea of sending a character back to 1920s Paris and then just quickly came up with a plot that would justify it. 
Yeah, exactly, because it's not up to your expectations that the movie is great, because you don't expect it. Well, I did. That's my point. I did because I love Purple Rosa Caro in that it does construe that mm. very well, I think. And I don't feel that Midnight in Paris did that. It's just, I'd say he probably had the same good idea with Purple Rosa Caro, but worked on it. I did read somewhere that um, he had actually written a script where Tom Baxter, as the character is, comes out of the screen and had nowhere to go with it after that and shelved it and then came back to it when he hit on the idea of Gil, the actor who plays him, coming to the small town to try and rescue the whole situation. So he really plotted, like I know from early Woody Allen, certainly from the 80s, he was very meticulous and worked out an awful lot. He would reshoot certain films. Whereas now I feel with Midnight in Paris... Maybe he's it's, just tired. I think maybe, it is. Maybe I it really was, do think Maybe he is it was tired. just an excuse to say, because that is him, just to, mm. uh, that he does do his references very like, I'll just throw it in the middle of a dialogue. You know, yeah. what do you think about Bergman? Like he did in Manhattan. Right. And maybe that was just a, a huge, you know, let's just throw everyone in so there. references and, in there without complaining. Yeah. yeah, but it's still, I mean, I do think it worked very well in terms of it did feel like 1920s Paris. I think he's very good at evoking a time period. It's certainly there in Purple Rosicaro, you just forget you're watching a film set in the 1930s, you are watching the 1930s. Um, certainly again in Radio Days, and also here again in Midnight in Paris, it does feel like, it feels perfectly naturally, nat 1920s, 30s, whatever it was, Paris. Even when he goes back briefly to La Belle Epoque, it feels like it is that time. Everything is done really well. So I think, but we do agree on one film where he does this that didn't work, and that is Magic in the Moonlight. I saw that yesterday and yeah. was bored out of my skull. I think that is might have been a terrible, too. terrible film. I don't know if he did that just as a transition. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Let's well, just make a film. I think that is the case with a lot of his films. There is a lot of it where he is just, it's therapy for him. He has said that himself. So he just churns out a film a year. And that's what he's not developing them properly. He doesn't have, as we say, he's tired. In the 80s, he made, in quick succession, Broadway, Danny Rose, Purple Rose, Sicaro, Hannah and Her Sisters, Radio Days, and they're all great films. And they all show the work done behind them. Whereas, particularly with Magic in the Moonlight, and it's the same problem again as Midnight Paris, suddenly the plot is jumped on at the end. Up until that, there's nothing happening. It's just people talking. Yeah. And again, but he does, it felt right from the start, again, this does feel like 1928, which is when it is set. I think he's very good at evoking that he's just not developing his scripts properly anymore yeah no I just I just felt that Magic in the Moonlight was very cliched boring yeah. boring certainly I mean it's only it's just, 90 minutes yeah. long and halfway through I just paused it expecting it to be nearly over and said god it's only 40 minutes into it at this stage and still yeah. nothing's happening they're just talking nonsense so yeah. we're agreed on that at least yes we are and I think another film we're agreed on is we both loved Radio Days yeah, Radio Days, I don't know if, if it's because right now, at this moment of my life, I, I relate to it a lot. But because I, you're on the radio. Because, yeah, I'm on the radio right now. No. <laughs> just because I think it's so family. It, it's so, it's just, be, I don't know if it's because it's kind of, because they're, they're, they are Italian-style family, which they're mm -hmm. a big family in um, New York. It's New York, isn't it? It is New yeah, York, New yeah. York. And it's just, it's a huge family. And they're so, um, they all hate each other, but they love each other. Yeah. And the, I, I 
just don't know why, but I just can relate to that so much. Okay. And it's just such a great feel good. And the music in, in that movie yeah. is just absolutely unbelievable. And it's beautifully used. Yeah, it's just yeah. suddenly just comes in and it just feels natural. And I mean, at the end of it, that Carmen Miranda song, I said, I must get that. Yeah. Oh, I love that, that scene. Just, I love the and scene. And it's so well done. Yeah, where the where the dad and the uncle just came in. Yeah. And mime to it. Like the, yeah. the sister, the cousin, whatever she is, the young teenage girl is listening to Carmen Miranda on the radio and she's dancing in time with the song and miming to the song, which is just real exotic. Brazilian? Is it actually Brazilian? Was it Carmen is. Miranda? Well, is it she, genuine? She, no, she was... She was Portuguese, but okay. she is, what would you call it, naturalised Brazilian. Right. So, yeah. So, she, but, uh, so it is, but it's that music, yeah. so that song would be, yeah. it's not Brazilian, a pastiche yeah. of Brazilian, it is actually authentic. Yeah, 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 it? yeah. Well, it's done very well, I think, in the film, in terms of she's miming to the song, and then her uncle and his brother or, something, I, or his I think it's her dad. It's, oh it's her dad and her yeah, uncle yeah. basically are passing by and they both pop in and start miming the male parts just on cue and it's very funny um, but it's very sweet and it is just as you said it evokes the family the big connected family who are yeah. constantly fighting all have their own characteristics which are all very comic but they all love each other they gel and bond together and in fact over that one scene is where the father is chasing the Woody Allen character when he's seven around the house preparing to beat him senseless and they hear on the radio the story of this little girl who's lost who's fallen down a well and they all suddenly stop and everything comes together did you feel that was emotionally part of the film or yeah. was that yeah, forced in any way that makes it a lot uh, very much um, human like mm. you know that yeah, I, I just don't know how to explain I thought it was a very nice touch yeah, you know that it, it brings out the um, I don't know. It made the characters more human, where they notice, you know, we were a family, we love each other. Yeah, you know, because yeah, the father goes, the father goes from chasing his son around with a belt yeah. to hugging him tightly as they listen to yeah. the story as it unfolds. Yeah. So it is. It's well, but it's also I think for me because I love old time radio as well. There's a lot of those dramas that are available all over the internet now. Um, is that it evokes that very well, the concept of people always listening to the radio. The radio is just yeah. constantly part of their lives. They, uh, not, and you don't get that with television, because television you have to sit and engage and watch it. And television eventually took over from radio in the 50s. But certainly in the 1930s and 40s, people could listen to the radio and just engage with it, amuse themselves, be entertained by it, and get riveted by the drama, or carry on with their lives while listening to the radio. Yeah. It was a constant background. And I think the film really does that and particularly with as you said the use of music yeah. because music is constantly there and everything is happening in the film the music and from it's the very, time is there yeah a very present time yeah. like the music is very well put in, in, in every sequence of the movie like it's, it's exactly that time yeah it makes it, you feel yeah. of the time itself and I just want to talk about the character I can't remember her name now in Radio Days but she was Cecilia in the other oh, one Mia Farrell's character they are yeah. so alike he made them so alike that they're so unlucky Oh, they so like Cecilia from yeah, Forever Rose. Yeah, yeah. Both characters yeah. are very unlucky and they want to be, like, Cecilia wanted to be, you know, oh, they had that movie life that yeah, everyone had. Yeah, part of the glamour and the fame of and all that. And she started that and she, she started going out with, with um, the actor and mm -hmm. all that and then suddenly... It fell apart. It fell apart end. and he just, you know... And same thing for her. When she finally got on radio, 
the bombs happen well, and then they, they cut her show. Just as she's about to think, I thought yeah. that was one of the funniest sequences in the film. Like she's there built up so long. She's finally going to be a radio star yeah. and she's just opens her mouth to say her first line when someone pushes her aside. We interrupt this to tell you that Pearl Harbor has just been bombed. And her reaction is, can we just go on with the show? Who's Pearl Harbor? Which yeah. I thought was just one of the best lines in the film. And it's just a whole, her career never takes off as a result yeah. of something like that. Yeah, and uh, that's why I, I kind of compared both of them because they're, they're very unlucky. Yeah. And um, and I think it's, I, I didn't understand quite well, but Jeff Daniels is also in Radio Days. Yeah. And he did, is he a Baxter too? Cause it, uh, it is, it's the same name, but it's a different character. Okay. I mean, the character, Tom Baxter is a fictional character within Purple Rose Cairo, the film Purple Rose Cairo. Is has, is yeah. about a film called The Purple Rose of Cairo, and Biff Baxter is a character in that, um, which is played by Gil. I can't remember his surname. Um, who is in turn um, played as what's Jeff Daniels Jeff plays, Daniels, plays yeah. him. So the character in Radio Days is also called Baxter. I think he's Biff Baxter or something is his name in that, yeah. and he's yeah. supposed to be a superhero yeah. on the radio. I don't know if that was his intention of giving the same. I think it, it's sort of a reference. Yeah, he is self yeah. very self referential that way. Um, and the fact that it's the same yeah. actor playing. Well, it. I wouldn't agree with the with choosing Jeff Daniels though. Why? I don't know if, if it's because I'm I've seen Jeff Daniels now and then I'm looking at him and Yeah, that that's interesting movie. because I mean I saw the first time I ever saw Jeff Daniels was Purple as a Cairo. I hadn't noticed him before. And um he just struck me as absolutely perfect for the part in Purple as a Cairo because he looked to me like a nineteen thirties actor. He seemed to be the sort of typical star you would expect in 1930s films. And originally it was Michael Keaton was playing that part, which I just couldn't imagine. But since then, obviously I've seen Jeff Daniels in so many things. You're probably thinking Dumb and Dumber, among others. Yeah. Yeah, you see, that's probably what you, when you think Jeff Daniels, you think that. Yeah. Because that's what you've seen first before seeing Purple Rose. Because Purple Rose, I saw when it came out in 1985 and never heard Jeff Daniels. And that's whenever I would hear or see Jeff Daniels, the first thing I think of, and still do, is Purple Rose of Cairo. Purple Rose Cairo. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought, I, I just thought of him very bland in Purple Rose. In Purple Rose of Cairo? Yeah. Hmm. He gave I me that impression of being a very bland character and then using him as an actor kind of made it blander. And reinforced it. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, and Cecilia being very annoying character. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I don't like her voice. But I love I loved those movies anyway, I think, yeah. because of, of the characters being Well, the, like voice, the voice she uses in Radio Days is Much very, very funny, like. I think. <laughs> it's exaggerated, but it's just the way she screams, particularly when she, has, when she learns diction. And it's, hark, the herald sound. I can't do yeah. her voice, but is it the king approaching? <laughs> it's, it's just quite comic I think and I think Cecilia is she's I think Cecilia is such a sympathetic character in Pearl Rose yeah, you're you just feel so bad. sorry yeah, for yeah, her yeah you do feel very bad for her and especially with the husband and all of yeah. that and um, but I just I love her as I actually thought she was a great ca- like you know um, casting decision yeah um, but Jeff Daniels kind of left me a bit you know anyway Disinter- disinterest yeah. well not disinterest did you enjoy the film but I mean, in terms of what I love, like, as I said, Purple Rose Car is one of my favourite films. And a lot of that is down to, because the period is a film, period in film history that I really do admire and love the whole concept of 1930s films and the whole escapism that the film evokes very much. So therefore, it was the perfect way, the whole fantasy of seeing this film over and over again and one of the characters comes to life and comes out to you. And then everything that follows is logical. 
in terms of it follows that structure because at one point Jeff Daniels as Tom Baxter the character in the film talks about his father to Mary Farron he says father, his father was a great character very witty very funny but he never met him because he died before the credits started and then when he kisses Celia and they're about to make love but he doesn't know what to do because normally it fades out and he gets really excited what happens after the fade out what happens after the fade out and all this is explained throughout all these film references that he is in such a innocent from the film he's come to in the reality of 1930s America is a complete contrast. And all that, there's so that's what I'm saying, it's so rich with so much to go in there that I think is sorely lacking in Midnight in Paris that we're coming back to full circle. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Um, will we finish here then? Well, yeah, I think we're coming to the end of that, but I would just like to say one question I would have with you, Marina, is I know before... Purple Rose of Cairo and Radio Days, you weren't overly fond of Woody Allen. Yeah. I mean, wishing him dead, I think, was. No, I d- I'd never actually had. wished him dead. Okay, serious harm. Yeah, no, not even that. I just wish that he'd see sense. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he. I just didn't like. The thing is, with Annie Hall, uh, I know it was very, um, you know, kind of uh, a new thing. And my dad always said it was very. Because he saw the movie in the cinema, I think. Mm-hmm. And he said the thing that he does when he talks to the camera. Yeah. No one done that before, I think. Uh, well, it was unusual. I, yeah, it was very, yeah. And my dad thought it was uh, unbelievable and all that. And he, his reaction to it is very interesting. But I I didn't, because I think we've, I've seen loads of films before that, I didn't find that interesting. Right. And I just thought the character of Annie Hall was very annoying. And he was very <laughs> annoying. The character of Annie Hall herself, the yeah. Diane Keaton character. Yeah, I just yeah. think both of them are very annoying I just couldn't wait for the movie to end okay well he's playing the same character in Manhattan and you liked that didn't you I don't like his character no All right. the thing is I liked Manhattan because of the music and because well, yeah. of the place and the way it's filmed the and the cinematography amazing, yeah. and all that I don't like his character and I don't like the fact that he's too obvious with the references he can't just let us say oh I think he's done that for that reason or he says it yeah. he says you know what do you think of Bergman? Yeah, but he said in terms he of... He has a discussion with, with uh, your one there about Bergman, and you're just like... Yeah, I mean, okay. that, well, that does irritate me as well, but mainly because it just highlights the pretentiousness of these people, which he seems to be celebrating, in terms of that they can sit there and talk um, over a glass of wine about, oh, isn't it so moving that this sort of thing sounds like people just don't talk like that? Or maybe they do. And then I just don't like people who talk like that is basically the way I would look at it. So, yeah, I would see that it seems almost a celebration yeah. of pretentiousness a lot of time. And there is a lot of that in, in yeah. some of his films. But I think we can forgive him that if he makes well, films yeah, no, like Purple yeah, Rose of Cairo and thing. Radio if, Days. If I, have, if I had seen Radio Days, Purple Rose of Cairo and Midnight in Paris before, uh, well, even Manhattan, before I've seen Annie Hall, Things might have gone differently. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so that's the, that's we've now established what order to see Woody Allen's films in. Yeah, Start with exactly. Purple Rose of Radio Days, and go from there. We're now going to wrap up at that point, having discussed Woody Allen. I've been Mick Jordan. I've been Marina Gorski. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.